Hello, and welcome to the Green Minds podcast. Showcasing the science, stories and solutions behind climate change with Phoebe Scott, Alex Miller, Lottie Flashness and Guy Wilkinson. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the IB Green Minds podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Lyle Medina, who is co-founder of Echo, which is an investment app that helps users identify alignment with the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. So welcome and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks very much. Good to, good to be here via Zoom in these yeah. weird times. I just thought we would start by asking you to provide an insight um, into your background and maybe mm-hmm. how you and your co-founder came up with the idea. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my, my original background was actually in marine biology. So, you know, pretty, pretty different to what I'm doing now. Um, some links are, are there for sure. Um, I think basically I wanted to, I've always been passionate in conservation. So, you know, trying to make sure that we, we keep our planet ticking over for future generations. But I quickly realized that going out, doing hands-on conservation projects that, you know, you, you kind of imagine when you're a kid, unfortunately, weren't going to cut it. So I really started looking and, and, and I've always had an interest in, into finance. So then moved into a little bit more of the financial uh, world, studying uh, Imperial as well, um, and starting to marry really that passion for kind of conservation with finance and beginning to realize that, look, if we're really going to kind of make a difference, we really you know want to start redirecting our capital towards things that are going to make a difference, basically. So my background took me from studying marine biology to uh, undergraduate to um, doing a master's degree at Imperial College in um, climate change finance and management course. And then from there, I went to work for uh, TrueCost, which at the time was a E, well, it was before ESG was a thing. It was just kind of environmental analysis uh, and data analysis. And it had re- recently been acquired by Standard & Poor's, which is obviously a very, very large uh, company. Um, and spent three years basically working within the ESG space at Standard & Poor's um, and really, really concentrating on working with basically some of the world's largest financial institutions and and corporations. And what I quickly realized was that, you know, the the first thing that these large FIs and corps say is, okay, so where do we start basically? Because, you know, you've got companies and these, you know, huge banks, for example, saying, okay, we need to now start reducing our carbon footprint, for example, or something like that. Depending on where you are based, depending on the business sector that you operate in and, and, and several other factors, the frameworks in which you're going to use to, to reach those targets are completely different. But going back to you know your original question is a, a little bit about my background. I always had this kind of overarching need I suppose to want to do what I was doing for these large banks and corporations for the everyday investor right so you know just like you and I Alex or you know we you know people walking around the street the average person 
you know, wants to perhaps do good, right? And they, their first thought is, okay, well, I'm going to donate to charity or something like that. And now, you know, please don't take this the wrong way. By no means am I saying that. That's not, there is a wrong or right way. But what we're seeing now and, you know, what I was seeing amongst my kind of friendship group and is people were saying, okay, you know, maybe I should be doing something with, you know, my savings or, you know, I want to be doing something with my spending. And then I had, you know, you have other conversations and they say, okay, well, you know, you know, especially with movements like Extinction Rebellion and people have everyone's on social media at the moment, you know, you can't help but see, you know, things about climate change, world hunger, so that you cannot escape, you know, the problems that are happening in the world. So merging those two together is really where Etcho came from, basically. So what I was learning with financial institutions, big corporates, which were, there is a lack of kind of a blanket framework that everyone can say, okay, well, you know, what does green or what does doing good actually mean right and everyone's heard of this term greenwashing now and you know someone says okay give me your money and i'll invest it sustainably what does what does that actually mean you know what i mean um so charlie and i who's my other co-founder we thought well we were thinking of this through the eyes of a your everyday joe blogs kind of a youngish maybe 25 to 40 <laughs> don't want to offend anyone I hope that's still a youngish bracket and say okay well I want to put away a bit of money or maybe I want to do a bit of trading but I also want to know where my money is going whether that's good or bad you know so you look at say a vanilla stocks you take one of the largest U.S. listed equities and we can tell you okay how does that company perform in terms of you know its alignment with world hunger or climate change and I guess the next point from that is, okay, well, well, how do you do that? And, you know, this goes back to, to, to that background question that you originally asked me was, you know, where did this all start from? Well, as I was saying, for me, it was all about marine conservation. So, you know, you, you've got what you need to understand is if you say to an individual, would you like to invest sustainably or would you like to you know make sure that your investments aren't doing bad basically and I put that in quotation marks that's not really enough if you really want to speak to the retail world you know you want to say well how does your investments look in terms of its uh, contribution contribution to the oceans so you've taken it one step further right and I think that's why we used the framework which we use, which we can discuss in a second, which is the United Nations SDGs, because it takes it that one step further and that extra level of granularity to just saying, I want to invest in something that's green. You know, because <laughs> some people aren't that interested in climate change. And you know what? That's fair enough you know I, we're advocates for climate change so we might say oh how could you but you know the average person just not might not know much about it but they might feel really strongly about making sure that everyone has an equal right to a good education so we we, we take that one step further but I, I've jumped the gun a little bit um, from the original question uh, of my background but yeah originally I started marine biology 
then uh, went into finance um, and, and for the last couple of years have been working for, for Standard & Poor's. Um, and funny enough, actually had my last day on Wednesday. So uh, yes, okay. it's uh, exciting times, slightly nervous, but uh, good times. I just say congrats for, congrats for finishing. Um, Thank you. And, yeah. So you mentioned the SDGs and mm-hmm. I want to dig into a little bit more about how you came across using that as the framework and then potentially how this looks mm-hmm. in the app and whether you're giving uh, users a choice by aligning or whether you're um, excluding stocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that last point, I mean, is a really, really good question. It's probably the question we get asked the most, actually, by, by people interested in the app and, and, and investors. So to go back to your first question, I mean, when I was working at Standard and & Poor's and, um, you know, once you get into kind of uh, learning about climate change and, and, and finance, not specifically climate change, sorry, but that, that was my entrance into it. The UN SDGs, uh, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals pop up a lot. And Charlie, who is my co-founder, um, he worked for UNICEF. So obviously that was that link to the UN. So, you know, he, he had have done a lot of work with the, the UN SDGs as well. Um, and there are a few major players. If you look at Standard & Poor's, if you look at um, a couple of other large environmental or data analytics providers in the market that look at the SDGs as an overlay to predominantly financial institutions, as I was saying. The tricky bit was trying to do it for the retail investor. So, you know, rather than saying, let me analyze a fund of four or five billion against the different SDGs, <laughs> someone wants to invest 50 pounds and, and we can help them do that with the SDGs. So in practice, what that means is we would take a company. So if, you're, if you can imagine the, uh, the app now in front of you, you would take a company and we are by no means advising you we are just giving you that extra level of clarity or or an overlay to make your own decisions so the first thing you would do on the app is you would choose the 17 goals that you're interested in and again this is why the sdgs are good because it speaks to everyone i mean if you look at the sdgs you cannot (laughs) not understand it right there's a, a picture of an sdg and it might say no hunger you know, no more explanation really needs to, to, to be added there, right? Um, or you could look at another SDG 14, you know, life below oceans. You know, that's about ocean conservation. So I'm, I go on the app, I pick, let's say, three or four SDGs that, you know, are really important to me and, and, and I think really speak to me. And this will answer that, that last point that you had. So then what we will do, we will pull up, say, 10 or or 15 companies that most align uh, with those SDGs. But what we won't, you know, what if you wanted to as well, you could, regardless of the SDGs, just search for a company. So you could search Tesla and we'll just tell you against all the 17 SDGs, how they perform. So you might have, just off the top of my head, you might have SDG five, it might be performing really well. SDG one, it might be performing terribly. What we won't do is say, pick your SDGs 
um, that you want to almost avoid. We don't want to, you know, screen them, screen them out if you are. So, you know, in a way where we're telling you, you know, the ones that perform the best, but we're never going to say, okay, avoid these because that's where you start rolling into a, an advisory app. Um, and that's kind of a, probably another iteration of the app that we'll do further down. And we might even look at funds. Um, but it's very much just look, you can make your decisions, but you know, here's an extra overlay to help you make those decisions because, and, and to be 100% transparent, what we didn't want to do is pigeonhole ourselves and say, we're only showing a very, very limited bunch of stocks that are ultra, ultra green, if you, yeah. if you like. So this is what we wanted to avoid. You can invest in what we would say a, a dirty company, what you know people often say, but at least now you have the clarity of why are they dirty, you know? So I think that's, you know, kind of why we're a little bit unique in the sense that we're, we're just giving you that extra insight to the regular equities that you might invest in. Right. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's very cool. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot in our course is the importance of things other than just climate change and how climate change is just yeah. one of the 17 SDGs and actually something which is sort of good for the environment in terms of CO2 emissions might be bad for water usage and things like that. So that's, that's, very, exactly. that's very important. And then I just wanted to understand maybe for uh, myself and, and the listeners, what your process was for mapping the SDGs. And uh, I think in the news at the moment, there's a lot of coverage as to ESG data issues and lacking disclosure from certain companies. So just how, how you've managed that and, and yeah, your, your findings from it. Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that's a really good question. So, I mean, ESG data, when you really dive into it, is where, as you said, that there's a couple of different pain points when you get to ESG data. So firstly, coverage. I would say is number one, regardless of if, you know, for ECHO coverage is, 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 you know, a pain point, but any, any financial institution or financial services provider within the ESG space, coverage is also always a problem. And having worked, you know, for one of the large players, it's kind of, you know, com competition always comes down to coverage, who's got the best coverage, but the second thing is how robust that data is. I mean, it, you know, it's like all, all, all kind of data issues is can you back up what you're saying? You know, you're saying, okay, well, this company has X amount of CO2 emissions. This company, you know, is scoring badly for board diversity, et cetera. If you're looking at the whole ESG spectrum, where have you got that data from? You know, have you modeled it and if you model data, how am I supposed to compare that to disclosed data? Because what you don't want and what, what you often find is what one company calls scope one emissions, right? Your direct emissions. Another company might, you know, have accidentally excluded a couple of facilities and suddenly their CO2 emissions are a little bit lower suspiciously. So having robust data and then good coverage is, is a real kind of pain point. I think for us, it's a trade-off. So, you know, obviously I can't jump into too much about specific providers, but having just worked in this space for a couple of years and now doing Etro, the trade-off is certainly, okay, I can get a ton of data on the UN SDGs, right? 
And what we're doing when we're talking about performance is essentially what we're talking about is alignment. So their revenues, and, and, and that's, you know, across the board. For when you look at different providers, what you're really saying is the revenue that they generate from their products and services, how is that contributing to the 17 SDGs? But it's a double-edged sword. So, you know, is it also causing any risk exposure to not uh, achieving those SDGs? The player that will lead in this space, and this isn't for SDGs, this is for ESG data, you know, environmental data, the, the player that will lead in this space is the, those that can map data across the supply chain. So, you know, there are a lot of companies and players that can do this for direct revenue streams from, from uh, operations. You look at an oil producer, right? You can look at the ESG, certainly the E factors that are associated with the direct extraction of oil and gas, right? But now try mapping that from that to filling your car up at, you know, a garage somewhere in the UK. It's pretty difficult. Um, and all, you know, all of that in between. So for us at Etcho, you know, we've got several suppliers that can do that, but the coverage is smaller. Or you've got suppliers that um, can offer excellent coverage, but perhaps, you know, the transparency along that supply chain is limited to perhaps more direct. So we have tried to find um, kind of a, you know, a, a compromise in which we can have, you know, what we would say good coverage compared to, you know, in the market, but also having that clarity along the supply chain as well. Because the, the first question people are going to ask you is say, okay, well, this company is performing excellent for SDG five or, or, you know, it's doing great for the environment. But somewhere down the supply chain, it's got, you know, horrible human rights conditions. So you need to always be able to back, your, your back yourself up, basically. Um, so that that's really, you know, the compromise that we're making. And it's, uh, as I say, you know, that the, the, the trade off is all always coverage versus how robust that data is. Yeah, uh, that, that's very interesting. Um, and I'm really looking forward to jumping um into talking to you about your startup journey but just one more question which has come sure. up um in my head as, as you're talking and that is about those companies that are transitioning so mm. they could be starting from a level with very high absolute emissions but have signaled intentions and potentially are putting their capital expenditure into the right areas but their revenues are currently still derived from uh, what we call bad dirty areas have you have you come across anyone who's who's able to look at that? Because I guess that's the the next level of sophistication. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, it, it's a really really good point. And you know what? You you need to. It's really hard to it's really hard to word this, but it's just being absolutely transparent. Is it's really you have to set set a baseline. You have to set a baseline with all of these companies and. When you have data, you need to make sure that it is comparable between business sectors. So, you know, say you've got an ultra green solar tech firm that, you know, has a great work environment. You know, it, it, it's just a great place to work. Um, I think I've had yet to find one of those, but, you know, in the, in, in the perfect world. 
that's great. You know, they've got a high uh, achieving baseline. But, you know, if we're looking at this decarbonization, so there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of talk about decarbonizing to 2030 or 2050, you know. Right. What we, you need to concentrate on um, these large, I mean, again, we're going back to climate change, but this could be across ESG, yeah. this, sorry, this could be across the SDGs. You need to look at the companies in which they have the most potential because really they're the ones that are obviously are going to make the most difference. And in order to do that, you know, we, I think the next consideration of the app would be to say, okay, well, here is their benchmark. Here is a baseline but this is what they are hoping to achieve. So at least then you can say, okay, you know, because they, and this goes back to what we said at start, Alex, so that, you know, there are going to be investors that still want to invest in fossil fuels, believe it or not, you know, that, that sounds quite odd, or there are still going to be certainly companies that are investing in, um, you know, what a really good example is, is the, the, the car industry, right? So you look at someone like Ford, you know they've been making engines for a long long time um very high emitting sector but they're about to put a lot of money into making their fleet you know carbon neutral for example or certainly lowering it to with uh, hybrid vehicles so that's a good example of what you were just saying right so if you looked at them now they might be performing quite poorly so having that extra overlay of saying okay well this is what they plan to do in the next couple of years would be really useful. I think that is taken into consideration in some of the SDGs when we look at target setting. And that is something that we'd like to bring into the app. So if you looked at, for example, uh, you look at the SDG that, sorry, covers climate change, you could then say, okay, well, what targets do they have in place? Um, broadly speaking though, you know, outside of, of, of Echo, um, I've come across um, a few providers that have started to take it into consideration but I can tell you for sure you know I mean certainly as I was leaving Standard and Paul's but also just in the whole ESG industry now it's all about setting targets so as you said you know you might be um, an investor that has a portfolio heavily invested in cement uh, sector for example or, or industrials they want to see that you've set targets that by 2050, you're carbon neutral, for example. So target setting is a, another key theme that you will see now over the next years, the next couple of years really come into the mainstream as well as ESG, because ESG within the kind of financial institution worlds, it, it's, it's reached, it's not reached its peak, but you know, it's mainstream. I would say it's mainstream almost now. Yeah. And there's, there's by, by no means is there, you know, enough work going into it, but it's, you know, everyone, you can't, if you, if you're in that world, you can't go anywhere without hearing about ESG. Target setting will be the kind of next theme, I, I would say. Sure. And, and then I assume um, performance against those targets as well, because again, there's been lots of talk about, um, you know, set off, set, set a, a target in which you need to achieve in 29 years time. Um, and yeah. you know, worry about it when you get to 2040. Um, yeah, exactly. I guess that's quite important. Anyway, um, I just want to now move on to talk a bit more about your um, startup journey, because we've mm. had a conversation before this, and it sounds very exciting. Um, and I guess at the moment we're in this huge wave of innovation and the word startup is quite a glamorous word 
Um, yeah. And I was thinking perhaps you could give us an insight into the realities of setting up a company and, and what comes with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, um, yeah, stuff, it certainly is a, a glamorous word and it sounds very kind of sleek and sexy, but in reality, you know, it's, it's a little bit different, I guess. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, for, for Charlie and I, I mean, Charlie, who is my co-founder, is very entrepreneurial and, and, and he, you know, is constantly thinking of new ideas and and is very passionate about whatever he does. So I guess going right back again, you know, I came from having a passion for merging originally conservation with finance. And I always just thought, you know, if I'm ever actually going to do this, I need to come up with something myself because what am I kind of waiting for? Um, Mm. And, you know, perhaps it sounds a little bit cliched, but I think a lot of, you know, listeners would find this really useful, especially, you know, if you're at that stage where you'll kind of say, okay, what do I really want to do in my career is I was thinking, you know, when the, when COVID we, we went into the lockdown, you know, and, and I really enjoyed my time working at um, Standard and Pause. Um, you know, I had a great team and I learned a lot, but I was kind of thinking, well, it's working from home every day. And I was thinking, what am I waiting for? And once I had an idea in my head, I just couldn't get it out. And I said, you know, as you said, it's it sounds really glamorous uh, working for a startup, but the longer you leave it, the harder it's going to get. You know, you know, you'll stop, you settle down, have a family. You know, you you, you take on more and more. Um, you've got more to lose, basically. You know, that, that's yeah. the reality of it. So we had this idea, and I reached out to Charlie. Um, I'd say say roughly a year ago, maybe a little bit more, just an idea. In fact, do you know, it was an actually, it was a WhatsApp voice note was the original idea. And I said, look, I've, I was actually using a training app at the time. I can't remember what it was. Um, and I was also, you know, think working on doing a lot of work with the SDGs. And then we, we said, and Charlie, you know, jumped on it straight away. Um, he's actually my brother-in-law. Um, but we've known each other for a long, long time. And we said, okay, how do we do this? <laughs> okay, like, you know, that's great. It's a really good idea, but how do we do this? You know, we, you know you're going to need a, a broker. You're going to need someone to do the legal fee, you know, this. So you then think, am I actually going to do this or is it going to be an idea? Um, and obviously I was working full-time for Standard & Poor's, which, you know, to, is, is eating away at your time you know you know that that's your job that's what pays the bills yeah um similarly charlie was working for unicef and and he's got a couple of other projects that he works on as well um and you know the reality is you are constantly learning and every day seems to be a curveball basically you know and i think i think we were having this conversation before you know when we first had a chat alex that I think it's really important for people to learn the reality of startups, not to put them off, but actually to entice them and say, you know, because it is intimidating because if you look on LinkedIn or you look at any of these kind of fintech blogs, I think you only really hear the success stories, you know, you see so-and-so raised, you know, these ridiculous amounts. I mean, in the U S now, it seems every company is a unicorn company now, they have billions. But I wish someone would sit down and say, you have not really any idea what you're doing at the very start, you know, 
and obviously as you learn you you get to and now you know Charlie and I just from doing hours and hours of work have become experts in areas that I never thought I'd become experts in you know that um but anyway we we you know I was doing a little bit on the side while I was working for Standard and Paul's and you know, had to make the decision really to hand it over to Charlie because, you know, you can't, I couldn't really legally or technically or, you know, work for both, basically. He kind of ran that in the background and then it got to the stage where it really started to, 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 to pick up some traction. Um, and then obviously that's when I decided to, to, to leave Standard & Poor's and do it full time. The reality is, as I said, you know, you're constantly just, um, oh God, we need to think about this. Oh, we've forgotten to think about this. And I think what's really important is you really need to be realistic with what you're achieving. And I would say, if you've set a timeline, triple it at least, you know, yeah. try and work to it, but triple it. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure that sounds obvious, but, you know, we, I think at the start, we would probably say something like, and it's actually funny you brought up this because it's making me laugh. Some of the timelines we had were so unrealistic, but it's like, you know, you can't just do things, you know, everything has to be legal, obviously, but I mean, everything has to be regulated. So, yeah. you know, you have to find someone that's going to regulate you. So there's no point starting to do this if you can't be regulated. So you have to find someone, a vendor that will do that have to have a conversation with several vendors to pick the best one. You have to choose someone that can execute um, trades on your behalf. Well, you have, to have, you have to sit down and have conversation after conversation after conversation with maybe four or five different vendors because, you know, you don't want to pick the first one you go to. I mean, it's got to the point now where I think we've got 10 different vendors helping us to run this app. And I would say it took, you know, five or six months to get, I mean, nine or 10 vendors in a, in a virtual room, because remember, this is all during the pandemic and sit down and say, guys, is this going to work? You know, because you're constantly questioning yourself and thinking, well, something must be missing. You know, you, you've got a vendor where if you, I mean, it's completely changed the way I think about apps. You know, if you, uh, I've got my phone in front of me now. If you jump onto an app and it does a quick face scan or it does a quick know your customer, um, you know, check where you have to enter your details, that's a whole other vendor, right? So that might take, you know, a month of due diligence, going through vendors, having conversations, saying, can you tweak this, going through pricing. So the reality really is sitting down and just having call after call after call and making some real assumptions and decisions and then you have to have to take the next step and say is this going to make us money is this going to make our investors money and is this going to work you know is this something you might have i think what what's really important is you have to have such a positive mindset because every day there's going to be almost a problem it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing you know and working with like charlie who's a really good partner you'll overcome that somehow but you, for anyone, you know, going into the startup world, you have to say constantly, would someone buy this? And I think that sounds so brutal, but it's, it's just honest. You know, you could have such a good idea that you think it's a good idea, sorry. But do other people think it's a good idea? You know, is someone going to pay $4.99, $6.99 or whatever it is to really use this app? So the first thing is, 
what is the problem that I'm actually solving? Is it a problem that is, you know, out there? So for us at Echo, we're never going to compete with Trading212, eToro, someone like that. You know, ours is quite niche, but we know that. And as soon as you realize that, you can then channel the app, you know, to, to hitting that demographic. And like you said, you know, is it glamorous? Not really, you know. Charlie uh, actually <laughs> had a Charlie actually had a child. He had a daughter halfway through trying to wow. do this, um, and, and his partner Georgie was who who is a you know graphic designer and a web designer was helping us do it throughout her pregnancy. You know, you get everyone you know who can help you, and luckily we've got a a friendship group and who who are you know very creative and talented and. I've got a lot of contacts in finance who could help advise us. You know, I had a, I actually lost my father when I was just about to do this, but you know, that, that is the reality of doing an app, you know, life goes on in the background, you know what I mean? And I think if, if you can, but the difference is, you know, you could, you could have all these things going on in your life and work for a work for a career, or do you want to be doing something that you absolutely love? So when these things go wrong, you know, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to use this to drive me to do my, you know, my startup idea. And, and I think, you know, we, we, we said this, Alex, when we were talking about, you know, you know, some of the conversations that we might have on the app is I said, I think, you know, talking about what Etcho is, the SDGs is so important, but for anyone going into a startup, talking about the life, yeah. you know, of being startup and, you know, I'll be you know honest you know I'm, this is still new to me you know we've only really been doing this until recently but still every day you know you, you're 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 balancing your life with with the startup and I think what's become really apparent with the, anyone working during the pandemic is it's really important to separate life and work and you know anyone studying like uh, your, yourself is to say okay I'm dedicating my time to whatever I'm doing, but I've also got a life, you know what I mean? And, and for me, yeah. you know, this is, this is my passion, but also, you know, it's important to say, okay, time to clock off. Yeah. No, those are some very, very useful insights and, and tips there for the listeners. Now um, I'm conscious of time, but there's some things you've mentioned Charlie a few times um, mm. and how at times you were sort of had to pass things over to him to rely on him. So it sounds like having the right business partner is absolutely critical. Yeah. If there's anything more you want to add there. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I was always told, don't get into business with your friends. <laughs> I don't know who told me that, but it's always been. So I did the complete opposite. Um, as I said, I've known Charlie for a long time. I think, though, the, re the choosing a business partner, you have to be someone who you can be brutally honest with. I mean, you know, you have to you're there's going to be days where you just say that's not right but it works you know what i mean it doesn't matter you you you're never going to take anything personally yeah. um but you need someone that's going to add value you don't just get on with them you know why why have you chosen them as a business partner well i know charlie is very passionate about positive change that's what he's done for a long time and whatever he does he seems to almost become obsessed with so that's a great partner to have um, but equally, I can say to him, hey, I think this idea is terrible. He won't take that personal. And equally, he can say that to me. So in terms of the actual business, I bring the kind of financial background and he brings his kind of partnership background. He's excellent at you know, getting partnerships for, for the business. 
Uh, that, that's very helpful. And now, just final question before we move on to some closing questions. Sure. Is that I understand you're very close to starting some some fundraising. Um, mm. And if you've had any uh, initial uh, talks with them, could, could you just give the listeners an insight into perhaps what they're demanding of you before they consider investing, how you've approached them, and maybe the types of investors you're looking to approach? Anything like that would be just fascinating to hear. Yeah, sure. I mean, at the end of the day, that is what it comes down to, you know. So we've had a, a couple of good conversations with, with investors. Um to tell you the honest truth, they come from lots of different channels. You know, there's no single kind of dragon's den moment in which you sit down and someone says, hey, here's all the money you need. Um, so as, as you were saying, you know, we're in this pre-seed round now um, that we've just opened in June. Um, the, the one thing is there's some really, really, really great platforms out there now and tools to help startups raise capital. So when you're a bit further down the line, maybe you've, you know, you've got a bit of cash, you've, you, you've kind of got some movement, you've got some traction, maybe you've got, if you're looking at an, an app, you've got the app out there, then your kind of seed round or your series A, you've got crowdfunding platforms like, I think it's their Crowdcube, I think Cedars is one, yeah. and they're brilliant as well. Prior to that, we're looking more at angel investors, individual high net worth individuals, and, you know, we've pitched to a few. We've actually raised quite a bit of cash already. Still got a little bit to go. Um, one platform which we are going to use is the Angel uh, Investment Network, AIN. So that's a brilliant platform in which, um, you know, you essentially uh, create a profile, upload your deck, and then investors can go on there and, and pitch. Um and then obviously there's a lot of legalities around that. So, you know, you can bring on advisors to help you set the terms, et cetera. But the conversations we're having are very similar to the questions you were asking earlier, Alex, which is, you know, where are you getting your data from? Obviously, they want to get straight down to the financials. You know, when are you going to start turning a profit, et cetera? Um, so you need to know your model inside out. But interestingly, and, and for any of the listeners who are, you know, thinking of doing a startup, they are buying into you more than anything at this stage, because yeah. let's be honest, and I don't know if many people would admit this, but a, a startup that's very, very early on, there are a lot of assumptions basically, right? So you might have a five-year model. We've had investors say to us, look, let's be honest, this is going to change. This is, you know, these, there's a lot of assumptions here. You know, you, some investors have said, I'm sure some of these are kind of finger in the air figures. We like to hope our models, you know, robust, a lot of research, obviously, and work has gone into it. But an invest, especially an, uh, an individual is going to come in, they're going to say, guys, we're probably going to change this quite a bit. I can support you. I've got a really good background, but I can give you X amount for, you know, X amount return, basically. Yeah. So at this stage, we're looking for high net worth individuals, angel investors, then we'll move on to VCs. Um, and I think we will definitely look at some of the crowdfunding platforms they like for you to have a certain amount raised prior to going on it and also they like to you know they like to see that you've got a little bit more traction so at this stage where there, there are two things we're really focusing on which is prioritizing obviously getting the fundraising but um one question and sorry this is going back to your original question investors say is well how much interest have you got now so 
and this is for, and I've heard other startups say this to me when I was asking them, one thing that investors always say is, how many people do you have signed up? Because if you say to investor, hey, I've got 5,000 signups, they're like, well, brilliant, we can start, we can get going straight away. Um, and it's the difference. I've actually had one individual investor said this to me, and it was the best bit of advice I had, which is, but it's just an idea. And it was just an idea. Okay, I've got a deck that looks great, but it is just an idea, right? So we built a prototype that took about two months and we've started to get signups for people ready. So now we can say, well, we've got something a little bit more tangible. So um, I think that's, you know, a, a really, I wish I knew that, but it's something that we got asked a lot is, okay, so what, you know, have you got a, a prototype? Can you show me something? And also how many people are interested? And, and that's the two kind of points that we get asked a lot. Right. No, that, that's that's really that's really good advice. And you, you've preempted my, my next question, um, which, we, <laughs> we, which we like to ask at the end of each podcast. So, so I'll, I'll combine the two and I'll let you add anything sure. that you, you want to add um, if, if you feel necessary. So, so the first one is what advice would you give to someone who's considering starting their own business mm-hmm. one day? Um, and the second one is if listeners were to take away one key message from this conversation today, what would you like that to be? Oh, that's actually probably the hardest question you've asked, I think. Um, no, I would say go for it. You know, you, you, I would say, can you get it out of your head? I couldn't get this idea out of my head. You have to go for it. But I would say um, there's two things that you really need to consider as a good partner. If you're going to partner with someone, you know, don't just pick someone that it is, someone that you get along with really well. They have to offer something to you. The second question is, is this solving a problem that really needs to be solved? You know, is the interest there? And as I said, you know, this leads back to several themes that we've talked about today. So at the start, we were talking about, you know, I wanted something that goes beyond just saying green or sustainable, pinpointing problems that are really topical at the moment. You know, um, equality, world hunger, the ocean conservation. So is there a need for the solution that you're providing? If there is, pick a partner that you know you can work with to add something and go for it. And lastly, you're gonna, there's gonna be times which you're gonna be very naive. So ask, is that, you know, just ask questions, go to people who have started startups and just say, how did you do it? You know, I think a lot of people have almost a little bit too much pride. They wanna embarrass yourself. It's the only way you're gonna learn, ask questions and, the most important thing you can do is create something as quickly as possible that's tangible that you can show to people whether that's just a beta app you know everyone has a deck you can whip out a deck in three weeks that looks amazing but it doesn't really matter it's just an idea so you want to generate something as quickly as possible that goes beyond just an idea whether that's a beta app whether that's some screenshots from an app or you've got a following or a community behind your app so it's a very tough question to ask, but uh, hopefully I've, I've answered it um, somewhat usefully. No, that's, that's great. There's a lot of good advice um, in answer, although I did ask just for one, but I think we got four or five. It's, hard, I, to I, put, it's, hard, it's hard to put it in one. <laughs> great. Right. Well, it's been great chatting to you and um, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks very much, Alex.